0: Hello! Passionate about sustainability, energy, and climate? You're in the right place. Welcome to Energetic. I'm Maureen Cornelis, and together we will engage with people who dedicate their lives to climate justice and making a just energy transition happen. They may be activists, scientists, policymakers, or other enthusiasts, just like you. Let the life stories and insights inspire you to build a better future for people and the planet.
1: Hello, meet Antolin Melman, the passionate and innovative director of Belgian mobility nonprofit organization, MPACT. Since its inception in 1975, MPACT has been revolutionizing shared mobility solutions through carpooling, car and cargo bike sharing, on-demand transport services for the Italy, a children's bike library and more. Angelo's journey with MPAC began in 2007, and since then, he has been leading the change in EU programs for shared transport and accessibility. With a keen focus on inclusive mobility with projects such as Inclusion, GPATRA, Social Car, Shared Nose, Small and More, Angelo has been quite instrumental in promoting sustainable and accessible transportation solutions for all. As a board member of the Flemish Sustainable Transport Network, Angelo has been pushing for innovative solutions to create a more sustainable and accessible future. He's also co-founder of the Flemish MobiHub Association and the unconventional symposium called Shared Mobility Rocks. Join us as we delve into Angelo's fascinating journey, exploring his impressive career and gaining insight into the world of shared mobility and sustainable transport. And let's discover why Impact and Angelo are on a mission to make it transport accessible and sustainable for everyone. Angelo, welcome to Energetic.
2: Thank you very much, Marie.
1: Thank you, Angelo. So you've been working for EMPACT for almost 15 years now, leading the change in shared mobility and sustainable transport solutions. Can you tell us more about your journey and how you got involved in this space?
2: So I remember my first day, it was in 2007, there was a colleague leaving my organization at that moment, and she said, people will never share cars. So, but okay, I didn't believe her. I started to promote carpooling, car sharing, and in the beginning, that was quite successful. So there was an increase of users of our system, but then after a while, okay, it was not that easy. But then there was the rise of the sharing economy. I think in 2011, there was a book, What's Mine is Yours by Rachel Botsman. Suddenly, every, it became trendy. So that was like my my journey. So from something that people were not believing in to something very trendy. And with many new questions, of course, Of uh, we were doing everything alone. And then there was Uber, there was Airbnb, many other type of sharing economy organizations. So we had to find our way in this new ecosystem, which was a very exciting journey. That sounds
1: really interesting also, because you come from a more NGO-like world, uh, whereas you just mentioned actors like uh, Uber, who are really like corporate and really business oriented, but somehow they are also leaders of this kind of shared mobility solution. So how did you make that conversation really happen over the years? Because they've been around since about, uh, yeah, you said over a decade. So it must have been quite, yeah, quite challenging at first to understand how to deal with those actors, with those stakeholders, really.
2: Yes, and we had to reinvent ourselves a little bit or or be more aware of our DNA. So at a certain moment, so we are based in Belgium and we were thinking, okay, we can never be as good as Uber in creating technology. We don't have those budgets at all. So it is is impossible. So our strategy became uh, not the best all over the world, but better in Belgium. And we can be much better in Belgium because we are close to our target group. We are close working together with municipalities. We are serving people that Uber or that kind of place will never serve like, like older people and so on. So we are in a market together with other operators, but serving other groups or finding new ways of collaborating. So we are more relevant than ever, even with those new players.
1: So can you tell us a little bit more about the way you serve those kind of marginalized communities and groups and underserved population? Because I think it's a debate that flies very, very much under the radar that some people are having so many difficulties in, in moving and in accessing simple services because they are unaware to use normal transports for whatever reason. So what are the barriers that they are facing uh, facing and what is your response to that in your community
2: okay i I see two specific underserved groups for us it's like older people mainly older people living in the cities so today it's all about climate change and and cycling and cycling is really really popular and the popularity is increasing electric cars that kind of things but for those older people they are often forgotten And for them, it's not about transport. It's about social isolation. It's about the quality of life, about well-being. And we are with a low-tech solution serving this group with our voluntary drivers, with their private cars. It's not a transport solution. It's a social solution to them. And this work in close collaboration with social services of the city because we cannot do communication campaigns to those elderly people. But if we are working together with the social services of the city, we are connected to this group with the specific needs. Um, and yeah, we try to to bring at least once a month, give them an, a nice day because they can go somewhere and with some personal contact with someone. It's not enough, but it's something already. So this is one uh, specific group. There's all the people and they need more more, more attention than ever. During COVID no, periods, okay. there was a lot of attention to them. But now post-COVID, it's post-attention for them. Again, So this is something that we have to put much more focus on, especially during those the climate. uh, Hype is the wrong word, but uh, the attention for climate change, you have to have the attention for this group. And then the other group uh, we see are people living outside the cities. Mm -hmm. In Belgium, we don't really have rural areas. We are in a region, especially in the Dutch-speaking part, Flanders, with a, a big urban sprawl. But people living in the smaller towns outside the urban areas, they are not served so well. They access to sustainable solutions, to car sharing, to bicycle infrastructure, and so on, or to quality public transport. It's limited, and sometimes they people give them a bad feeling. So you are not doing enough for climate change. You are, but they don't have access to everything. And it's not their fault that they are living there. It's maybe a bad spatial planning from the decades before. And okay, we need to be empathic with this group instead of giving them bad feelings. And being empathic is also an understanding their needs and trying to offer uh, them needs. And that's also as impact what we try to do by working together with those groups with the smaller towns as well so we are going to cities which were never under the radar of the international operators those smaller towns and we try to be creative try to create solutions bring this our solution to them as well sometimes it works well sometimes it's complicated and challenging but at least we try
1: Yeah, at least you try and you try to overcome this kind of uh, impossible equation between dealing with the end of the month and uh, dealing with the end of the world, which were really one of the few arguments that was brought by the Yellow Vest a few years ago uh, back in France when a lot of the protests were coming from areas that were really badly served by public transportation and they had to, I mean, it highlighted uh, total dependence on the individual car which was, of course, is is really bad for the climate, but it's also really bad for, for your wallet. And when energy prices increase, that creates a lot of uh, yeah, social, economic unrest as well. So you're trying to include them in the conversation, if I understand correctly. And that is already quite a step forward, isn't it?
2: Yep. And then the way we offer shared mobility or sharing solutions, it's really, we try to connect the yellow jerseys with the green jerseys and sharing is really a good strategy for that because many other solutions for making transport more climate friendly, like subsidizing electric cars is too often serving people with a lot of budgets already. But sharing is really a strategy and it's it's about carpooling solutions with car sharing as well, to connect the green jersey strategies with the yellow jersey strategies. So this is our place. It's a little bit like in the donut economy, so that we are we have- in like in the middle serving them as well.
1: Yeah, the energy sector, we talk a lot about community energy, but now it seems that you are talking about community transport somehow.
2: Yes, community transport is a good word, so yes. We call it like community-based car sharing. It's not like offering a fleet to everyone, but supporting small communities living close by with specific needs in specific areas. And one part is the community, feeling the community as an objective, but another part is the community as a mean to share with each other.
1: Mm. And how do you bring those concepts at a more, let's say, political level, I mean, you're a co-founder of an association at the Flemish level, MobiHub. You also have this uh, international symposium called Share Mobility Rocks. I wish I can participate someday. It sounds really, really, really cool. So how do you manage to have a really a conversation and how to build more resilient transport systems that really serve the people and the planet as well?
2: Yeah, in our organization, we have three pillars. One pillar is concrete solutions, and this is crucial just offering good solutions. Uh, Another pillar is innovation, and that became more social innovation and technological innovation. And the third pillar we have is creating buzz or awareness, and it's political and public awareness. And we have very good tough members who are like, good in creating buzz. And our event together with the other association, art 2 it's called Shared Mobility Rocks. Is about creating buzz. Uh, one thing, we believe that Shared Mobility Rocks, it's, it's not Brilliant. only the name of the event, but it's what we believe in. And the other hand, okay, and uh, that kind of event, it's part of the mission statement of that event is not like offering a place for commercial presentations, but to ask the right questions Mm-hmm. In an unconventional way. And the right questions is like, are we serving everyone? And then more complicated questions as well. Can we create new ways of working together, integrating chat mobility into planning and so on? So, and the next time that we are doing chat mobility rocks will be in Vancouver in September in Canada. Wow. So, we, this is uh, for us interesting. Sometimes people in our country are listening to what we are saying, we, a small NGO, because we are making noise in other countries. And if they see, oh, even in in Canada, they are listening to Impact. Okay, maybe we should listen to them in Belgium as well. So So that helps us to make them listen to us in our own country as well.
1: Wow. That's really inspiring. Like from really the the local level to the international level and being able to build this conversation, I guess your stakeholders, your interlocutors are mostly cities and are they also organizations, equivalent organizations to yours from all over the world?
2: Inside Belgium, our main stakeholders are also public transport operators. So we started to organize car sharing together with the public transport operators. And in, in Belgium- Like
1: lane or, or those kind Delaine's of like
2: the, the bus operator from the Flemish region, also from the Br- Brussels region, and also from the Walloon region. So the, those are the three Belgian regions with their own public transport operator. And then at the national level, we have the National Railway Organization, uh, and they are also shareholder of, of wow. And this is amazing. In, in a complicated country as Belgium, we have found a solution to work together and we are using the cars in a sustainable transport ecosystem. By that, and mm-hmm. it works really, really well. So those are important stakeholders at the, at the national level. We also are part of a, a network of NGOs, uh, the cyclist federation, the uh, environmental organizations. So and they are very strong in innovation in connecting with communities so and this is very important for us as well at a more international level we work together with uitp this international umbrella organization for public transport but we are and we are also working together often in european funded programs interact programs and the best programs for us is the program where we have like diversity of partners like cities uh, as partner, research institutions as partner, NGOs, maybe private companies, and we can learn so much from them. So sometimes we as NGO, we have great ideas, great dreams, but if we're working together with cities, they keep our feet on the ground. Okay. And they, they, they learn us that not everything is that easy to implement, but okay. And that makes, oh, us smarter but also our dreams are influencing them as well so this is what we are doing more at international level in EU mainly EU funded programs
1: so so interesting I mean building all those networks and partnership as a way to to as you said an ecosystem like that of parties that manage to understand each other and learn from each other I really enjoy this kind of uh, also of mindset that you are setting up. So there are a multiplicity of actors, of course. And what about the car manufacturers? Are they in any way involved in, in this kind of narrative? Or is it something that you don't even want to see in your, as part of your ecosystem?
2: Huh. We as Impact, we never say that we don't want something. Okay. Everything, we see an opportunity. It doesn't mean that we have partnerships with everyone, but in every kind of partnership there is something a win. So that with car manufacturers until now, we've worked together a little bit. Uh, they are supplier, of course, of our main car sharing company. But we see them in in this ecosystem of, of shared mobility as well. They are investors of the biggest car sharing schemes in Europe. It's not always easy for them because for them it's they have another mission than we have. For them, they start BMW and Mercedes. They started with uh, first separately with car sharing, then they merged with Chanel, and then it was sold to to the group Stellantis, I think. So they are struggling because they have other, yeah, it's it's their DNA yeah, it's of selling cars and not to yeah. creating services. Uh, and okay, they want to make profit, but what they do is. With the budgets they have and the cars they put on in the streets, the mindset the, making people believe that sharing is possible, that's something they did very strong so but okay, they're still struggling with it
1: <laughs> okay so so what are the biggest kind of struggles really for you? I mean, you said that now people in your communities are kind of getting used to it, but do you still have reluctant parties, or maybe at first what where their their reactions, and what would you respond to any organization that listens to this podcast and and see how positive shared mobility could be, but would kind of fear any reaction from their constituency or the local local people, really? Because you have, I mean, MBAC started and was forty years ago, so you have many many years of experience. So. What kind of lessons would you draw on people's engagement into these kind of
2: systems? Two important lessons, I think. If you start in a market with shared mobility, with car sharing, in every market they say the same thing. In our country or in our city, people will never share cars. We love cars too much. I've heard (laughs) that everywhere. And even after many years, people start to share. So this is one thing. Believe in it, it works everywhere because sharing is a good solution. And the second thing is, even if car sharing is very successful, compared to car ownership, it is still so small. So dream big, even in Ghent, in our city where we are based in, in Flanders and Ghent, it's quite successful. I think we have almost 10% of the people are member of a car sharing scheme. Wow, 10%, it's huge. It's huge, but it's tiny compared to the number of private cars and company cars in the city. Mm-hmm. I really believe in cities with city centers, even outside the city centers, where we are not speaking anymore of low emission zones, but low ownership zones, where where sharing is the standard. And okay, so even in a very successful city as the city of Ghent, we're still far away from what we can achieve. So and th- don't forget this target. Well,
1: so so really, you have the data to prove to any city, any organization that actually shared mobility works, even if it's for the time being it's it's not like the most mainstream thing, but really something that uh, is still growing, isn't it?
2: Yeah, indeed. And I, I c- something else I can explain about Ghent is oh, yes, why is. It- So successful in Ghent, there are many reasons for that. There's very good support from the city. There are many operators, local startups and different services. But the very important thing is that people in Ghent, they like cycling and they go everywhere with the bicycle. But once in a while, they need a car to go for shopping, to visit family somewhere. And so this is crucial. If you want to invest in car sharing or in shared mobility, you need to invest in other solutions, good public transport or good cycling infrastructure, and then car sharing can be successful. So don't see it as a separate mode. Otherwise you can maybe, and this is happening a little bit in the United States with, with uh, shared mobility solutions, like or Uber kind of solutions. People are sharing more cars, but using more cars. And this is not the future that we want to have in our cities. We want to have less car usage with fewer cars. So, and therefore, other sustainable modes of transport are so crucial.
1: Okay, so how does it work in practice? Do people connect uh, in Ghent? Uh, do people connect to an app or how do they reach your, your services? Yeah, if somebody tomorrow is in Ghent and listens to this podcast and says, I had never heard of Impact, is there a way I could also join? Or if an elderly person could uh, benefit from on-transport services, How would that work, really,
2: concretely? What we offer as Impact, we have two car sharing solutions. One is Cambio car sharing. So we are partner of this service together with public transport operates, and therefore you need to become a member. So it's not that accessible, but people who become a member, they are very good users, so with a lot of impact. So they are really replacing cars. But okay, for a visitor to the city of Ghent, it's almost impossible to use a Cambio car. The other service we offer as Impact is Cozy Wheels, it's the sharing of cars between ma- neighbors, so the community-based car sharing. It's not accessible as well for visitors. But there are other services in the city, like Green Mobility, Miles, uh, Poppies, um, and their value proposition is really easy accessible. So you can just, of course, easy accessible for people with credit cards, for people with smartphones, but for them, they can just become instantly a user of those car sharing services. It's not integrated yet in one app. Okay, there are mobility as a service solutions, so one app for several kind of shared mobility solutions. So like Olympus in Belgium, we are partner of this as well. And okay, in this app, you can maybe use uh, several shared mobility solutions, but it's not always that accessible as a visitor. It's more like a service for members, for companies who are doing this. So... People, the, the last five years in the world of transport, there was a lot of buzz about integrating everything together. But the integration becomes sometimes much more complicated than having like two or three, four or five different apps in your smartphone. Your smartphone is like mobility as a service instead of one operator offering this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I use myself a few of those apps, and sometimes it can be very confusing to to see that they are doing many things at the same time and it can be a little bit complicated to navigate, of course. Would you consider that the digitalization of the mobility, you've seen how back in 2007, I guess it was not as prevalent as it is now. And uh, to use those kind of services, you wouldn't always need a, a smartphone or something. So how has digitalization changed the way people move, really? Has it been like a breakthrough? Because from what you're saying, that everything is uh, through an app, etc. It feels a little bit
2: like that. I don't think it has had such a big impact, the digitalization. Of course, this is today a standard. Things have to be accessible with a good app. This is standard, but it hasn't made a difference, I think. The difference for sustainable transport is like having those cars close by. Having the car in the street, this makes a difference. Not having access to the car with a smartphone, but just having it close by. Also, like things that made a difference for me, like a couple of years ago, the word disruption was used very often, but it was used because of disruptive market players. The only disruption I have seen in our cities were decisions taken by local governments like a new parking regulation or maybe access to certain areas with or without car-free areas, this was disruption. And this has made an impact on transport behavior much, much more than digitalization.
1: Well, that's really super interesting, like regulation being at the heart of shared mobility to fulfill its potential. It's really uh, interesting as a very challenging idea. And uh, as you said earlier, you are actually a low-tech organization. So you somehow, if I understand correctly, you believe that really being able to have services available on the phone or close by because it's about people and not about the tech is what makes the
2: difference. Well, of course, today you cannot go to the market without uh, apps anymore as well, but they are not that important. It's like a standard, but okay, being close to your customers, being accessible to your customers is for us. As important as having those apps.
1: Well, okay, and really, what do you see as the most significant regulatory opportunities or challenges, really, at the moment, to really enable shared mobility to to take off and really accelerate the progress in this sector?
2: One of the most important things that uh, for cities for shared mobility is it's not only regulation; it's more like uh, urban policies. We call it like more shared mobility action plans. Uh, and shared mobility action plans, a plan needs like an objective, real targets, and together with those targets, budgets for that. And when I started for impact, I, the first five, seven, six years in policies about transport, uh, there was sometimes written something. Okay. And we will support shared mobility, but that was not a plan. That was like an intention, but without budgets and so on. So, but. Uh, we were inspired by the city of Bremen in Germany. And then we did the same in Ghent. And then autodealer.net, the other association is supporting cities and creating shared mobility action plans. So, what they, what they want to achieve is like in a city, we want to have 20,000 car shares in 2025. And therefore, we need this, this, and this. We need budget. We need also staff. And okay, that makes a difference. So budget stuffs and a whole policy integrated with other means of sustainable transport. But then really going to re- regulation, very crucial. I think it's like integrating car sharing policy into parking policy. Today, it's difficult sometimes for operators to have parking lots in the city to, to be close to the users. Parking for visitors or for inhabitants is often too cheap okay, there's not always a smart parking regulation covering different needs. Also for new developments, and this is changing now, but very slowly, for a whole new development, normally they think, cities, but also the developers, we need to provide enough parking space because if we provide enough parking space, we won't create parking pressure in the neighborhood. But you have to turn it around. So... Developers and cities giving those permits, they need to define a maximum number of parking lots and together with that, solutions, like shared mobility. So for every new development, they need to provide parking lots for shared cars together with an operator, cooperation with an operator, and then they avoid the number of cars in the neighborhood, not only in the building, but in the neighborhood together, and they avoid car usage afterwards. So, and now we are in some cities, we are having projects where new development, housing development, real estate development, where they have reduced number of parking lots, but with solutions. And this is rather new and innovative to bring the solutions already there. And, okay, what we do today also is not only like speaking about, okay, they have to, to provide car sharing in this new development, but we are more speaking about mobility hubs. Mobility hubs. We have defined this in Belgium, but also elsewhere, that they provide a combined solution. But sometimes you need bicycles, sometimes you need public transport, sometimes you need a car. And with the word, we we created the word in Flanders MobiPunt. In English, we use "mobihub," and and in French "mobipoint," "point mob." But the new terminology, it becomes a reflex of the designers of the cities to think multimodal from the beginning instead of correcting this the use of this space afterwards
1: yeah and i guess it's becoming more and more relevant as we move towards electrification of the cars and that requires maybe cars to to stay where they are for a longer period of time rather than a petrol station or whatever which takes only a few a few minutes so so somehow how do you deal with this dichotomy? Like uh, maybe certain cities will say, yeah, but I mean, the electric cars will have to take, I don't know, three, four or five spots uh, in, in one street. Uh, we can't, let's say, let's imagine that uh, a city will say we can't have, leave more space to share mobility cars or something like that. Is it something that you have already been confronted to or really thinking of?
2: Yes, indeed, but the problem with an electric car is that an electric car is consuming as much space as a conventional car. So for us, the difference is a shared car, that makes a difference and not an electric car. Of course, for local emissions, uh, it's important to have more electric cars. But this is part of the whole parking strategy of a city to not only provide space for electric cars, but think, okay, how many cars... Can we have in our, do we want in our streets? And okay, how can we reduce the number of cars in our streets? And this is not because of electric cars. This is because of shared cars and cycling and so on. But this is very difficult if you see the budgets going to electrification, subsidies, the whole planning compared to subsidies going to shared mobility. This And shared mobility has much, much more impact. So we prefer to speak about co2 per passenger or co2 per household and not too much per car so there's too much attention for that
1: yeah, yeah. yeah that's that's really interesting because uh, indeed electric cars receive a lot of attention because i mean they are shiny and as human beings we like uh, shiny new things indeed whereas uh, shared mobility is Somehow a little bit unsexy, except if your neighbor has a very fancy car and uh, puts it on the the shared uh, mobility. Would you call that a community mobility uh, platform, right?
2: But we believe that shared mobility is sexy and it is rocking. So,
1: (laughs) yeah, as you said, shared mobility rocks. (laughs)
2: Yeah, indeed.
1: Yeah, so, Angelo, as we look to the future, what are really your expectations for the development of sustainable transport solutions? And what role can shared mobility play as we witnessing a real transition, also sociologically speaking? I mean, I see around me a millennial somehow, almost a geriatric millennial, but I see a lot of people around me don't have a car. And that's OK. I live in, a, in one of the most uh, car intensive uh, city of uh, Europe in Turin, but it's still
2: a lot of young people don't own a car anymore. Yeah, I think Turin was the first city in Italy with car sharing. Yeah, so
1: yeah, yeah. We still have them. Real yeah.
2: car sharing was the name at that moment, I think. So even yeah. in those cities, yes. But like what I said already, so I really believe that we can go from the terminology of the narrative of low emission going to the narrative of low ownership. And Vision. okay, us proof. younger people, millennials, Generation Z, they want to have access to transport. Transport creates freedom, not cars. Mobility is creating freedom for them. So and okay, but it goes too slowly. If we wait for another generation and then another generation, so I believe that the cities can accelerate this by thinking in the narrative of low ownership zones, and it's always about not not only about the shared mobility strategy, but multimodal strategy. So I think this is crucial to see. We are we believe in a transportation pyramid, and we we believe walking, cycling is much more important than uh, first of all walking and cycling on top of the pyramid, then collective transport solutions, then shared mobility solutions. And so on. So, but you have to, You need to combine this uh, in in cities where you have good quality of every type of this uh, of every transport mode, sustainable transport mode. And on the other hand, and this is crucial as well, so we can think a lot about Generation Z and all those opportunities. But we need strategy to serve everyone. Living in the cities, all the people, but uh, people with other reasons, with other uh, limited access to those services, but also people living outside those cities. For we need to think in an empathic way to their needs as well. Otherwise, we will create very polarized communities uh, and regions, and it doesn't serve anyone either. So,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Thank you so much, uh, Angelo. Let's. Uh jump into our very last question. So what are, let's say your expectations, something that really makes you feel positive every day, really?
2: Something that that makes me feel positive every day. It's really a lot of my work. It's like, it's so easy to be connected with everyone all over the world. And we are learning so much from each other. And there was a time, I think that's that we thought, like you know, in Western Europe, other sides of the world can learn from from us. But I see initiatives that that uh, we can learn from the South because sharing is what they do. We need technology for sharing. They were sharing already for decades, but now in the way we can communicate with each other, we can learn again from them as well. And this makes me really feel positive to 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 learn global. Yeah, it's like acting local but learning globally uh, in this global world so so, and like now we are we are connected to a project with the philippines and quito and yeah that gives me a lot of energy and inspiration
1: that's great and i mean the shared mobility rocks convention being in vancouver you will learn and discover many many new things i guess
2: yes i'm looking forward to that
1: Yeah, And I hope
2: you can join maybe in Vancouver or maybe later next year somewhere else.
1: (laughs) That should be fantastic. Thank you so much, Angelo. Have a very nice weekend and uh, until next time.
2: Thanks a lot, Marine.
0: Thanks for listening to Energetic. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive into sustainability and the Just Energy transition with the most inspiring stakeholders. All links and resources are in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you like this podcast, why not recommend it to a friend or a colleague? To continue the conversation, head on over to Twitter or LinkedIn. Thank you for lending your ears. That's all for this episode. Until next time.